From Relay FM, this is the Pen Addict, episode 567. Today's show is brought to you by Uni Pizza Ovens. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Brad Dowdy. Hi, Brad. Hi, Mike Hurley. How are you? I'm fine and dandy, my friend. We've got a lot of Ask TPA questions today. We've been saving them up just mm-hmm. for this week. Pretty much all submitted via penaddictfeedback.com, which is where you can go at any time to submit your follow-up questions uh, or ask TPA questions specifically uh, to the field, and we'll get to them whenever we can. Um, as I mentioned in the last episode, we've got tons here. We have more than we'll get to today, and I didn't even bring everything that's in the form uh, that people <laughs> submitted. So we've Love got it. episodes forever uh, based on these questions. We're going to start yeah. today with something timely. So... Uh, when this comes out, I will be in California uh, for WWDC, but we're recording it in advance because of that trip. But Ramon asked, uh, what pens will I be bringing to WWDC? For me, for a non-pen trip, it's pretty simple. I always have in my backpack uh, three things in a uh, Nokko... It's not the Sinclair. What is Zipper, the one? No zip. No zip. It's the three look pen out. thing that 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 like you flip yeah, over look and out. look out. That's it. I have the unicorn lookout. The pink. Oh, and, nice. Pink and, I don't uh, even have one, one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and in there is um, a Mark One. Mm-hmm. So I have, I think, the first special edition one they did, the blue one in there. Okay. Mm-hmm. I have a Retro Fifty One. I don't remember which one it is off the top of my head. And I have my spoke pencil in there. Oh, nice. So that's just always in my backpack. They are uh, easy to use pens that will cause me no chaos. And if I ever need them, I can just grab them. Yep. So I would have gotten two out of the three. Correct. I would have gotten the the Mark One, the Retro Fifty One. I would have gone with Rotring Six Hundred, but I think now that you say that, you could probably keep that more at your desk. That's, a, that's, that's a not pen the trouble. Desk. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That makes sense. So that makes sense. Nice. Okay. Cool. Um, any notebook or paper or anything like that? I have a couple of field notes in the bag too, like just varying ones. I think I have one of the dime novel field notes in there just oh yeah that's always like a fun one um and i have a regular field notes of some kind just so it can always again it's just like they're always in the bag in case of some yes. kind of like pen emergency you know it's good to have just the kit that stays there yep. right yep never yeah. have to think about it so that's good so you'll probably be writing on on your your digital devices or using apple pencils and things yeah. like that but it's you always got to have the backup even me like when i don't go on like writing trips mm-hmm. i want something mm-hmm. so yeah good. and it's for me it's like if i'm gonna need something i want it to be a good thing you know what i mean like if i exactly. have to use no, a pen exactly. and paper for something i want it to be stuff that i've chosen but i would expect it to be very unlikely for this trip mm-hmm. sure. um just because you know, I used to take a lot of notes when I edit, but now I actually do this digitally because um, mm-hmm. I'm handing these over to editors now, rather than me doing it myself. Ooh, so, big fancy man. exactly. Uh, I, I my people require a different note taking format. Uh, I don't. My people do not re- want my handwriting, Brad. You know this. <laughs> I'm like it. no one would understand my edit notes at all if I had to send them mm. pictures of my uh, chicken scratch. True. 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 Sure. It's magical, though. Jacob asks, would you want to put an air tag inside your Nakayas and King of Pens, or at least in a pen case where you store all your most expensive pens to bring out of the house? So kind of, um, you know, uh, in conjunction with the previous travel question, mm-hmm. would you add, would you want something, one, inside your pen, or two in in the pin case so i i would have to go no on the inside of the pin um like i had feel disrespectful to my nakaya if i put some piece of modern technology <laughs> in this artisan pin Interesting. Um, what if what like, if nakaya would, like added it themselves you know like they have a new model and it's integrated <laughs> with fine line 
I think if that was their thought process, I might not be a Nakaya customer anymore because something would have changed. <laughs> like that, I don't think that'll ever happen. <laughs> like there's a certain uh, artisan quality that I think just gets broken when you start adding in like the modern technology to these mm. these classic designs. So that's maybe that's just a me thing. Uh, but in the pen case, yeah, absolutely. I know a lot of people do that already. Um, I haven't gone that far, but like if I have. A backpack, like I, I keep my, I do have an AirTag. I keep it inside my backpack that often has my pen, pen case or something like that in it. But um, there's been pens in the past that have tried this cross. I did a review of a cross pen that was, um, you know, had like a Bluetooth tracking mm-hmm. um, device in it, and it it kind of worked. Like it was okay, but you're also stuck on using that pen, right? Which yeah. is, that kind of defeats the whole purpose. Like you either buy into that singular pen or you don't. And that's where the beauty of just having um, something like in a bag or a backpack um, is definitely the better way to go mm-hmm. um, as opposed to having a singular fixed object into a fixed pen because then you are you feel stuck using that product and sometimes you may not want to be. Yep. So I just bought uh, a new bag from Bellroy and... Mm-hmm. Something that they do now in their label, like the Bellroy label, they've they've made it the dimensions of an AirTag. So in all of their bags that they make now, you can slide an AirTag inside of it. They've like turned their label into like a little pocket, like the, you know, like the yeah. information label. Mm-hmm. So I just think that's, that's very smart. cool. What I was going to say is, do you have any uh, pull over a rickshaw? to get a knock made with like a little thing that I could put just an air tag pocket on the front or something. I just yeah. think I'd be, yeah, really, I think I'd be a good idea. We've been asked about that and I, I know Mark's talked about it in the past. So yeah, I don't know like if we have any like a specific universal design, but I think that's like super smart. I think and it I think would be it great. Would be like, I don't think I'd want to put them in pens specifically, but I would love to be able to very easily put an air tag into a Sinclair. Like I just think that, yep. that without it like like bouncing around in there, like just like a little pocket on the front of the thing or whatever that I could just tuck it into or on in like the inside. But I really thought that the way that Bora did it was so smart. It's like here's this yeah. thing that we have to include, so we're actually going to make it useful, and it's like super simple. And I expect pretty cheap for them to do it because yep. instead of like sewing it all four corners, they just sew three corners and that's it, right? Like exactly. three sides it's and that's super it. smart, very clever, super smart. Ryan says, when you encounter a notebook where the first page is partially glued to the cover or a sheet of page that is not meant to be written on, do you ever write anything on that page? I find it hard to get the page to sit all the way I want it to and end up skipping that entirely and moving on to the other side. This is why we have done 567 podcast episodes about Mm -hmm. pens and stationery. I love this question so much because I think the same way that Ryan does. And we all have our little things that stand out to us. Like, what am I supposed to do with this page? When you open a new, like, especially like a hardbound notebook, right? You open the page past the cover and they might have like a title page. And then like your next page has almost like this extra glue or binding on it like for like an eighth of an inch to where it doesn't fold with the same in the same type of binding structure that the rest of your pages do. Do you know what Ryan's talking about and what I'm referring to, Mike? Do you know that page? <laughs> Brad, of course I do. <laughs> okay, I just make it sure. I know, but like your notebooks don't necessarily do that. So, but no, I'm talking but about like, like your moleskines and your like your hardcovers, your Lloyd's terms. Yeah, it's like you, is, you, is the first page in the sequence attached yes. to the end page, basically. Yeah, you absolutely skip that page every 100%. time. If you Just, write on that page, you're a monster. I don't know what to tell you. Like you can put like your own index there. You can put something non-important there. You could throw stickers or stamps on there. Sometimes I'll do like a stamp or something on there. You absolutely never write on that page. And I there there's not another answer. I'm gonna get emails. I don't want them. Don't Don't send them to me. There's no point sending them because you won't change our minds. Because you know what's even more monstrous is that when brands print on it as if you're supposed to use it. Yeah. What you need to do as a company is you need to make it useful in some way. So, like, I have that page in the theme system journal. We turned it into, like, an information page, and you can just write your email address on it or whatever, right? Exactly. Like, yes. take it and make it useful. But if you put the dot grid on that page, monstrous. What is wrong with you? <laughs> Why would you do this to someone? You're, like, trying <laughs> like, to make them do a terrible thing. No, you never you use know, that as, page. 
as a matter of fact, if you write on that page, just delete our podcast from your feed. <laughs> you don't deserve this podcast anymore. <laughs> <laughs> just delete us. Do not listen. You're not allowed to listen anymore. You've been banned. You're a monster. This is a permanent ban from the Panoramic Podcast. <laughs> this is a hill I will die on. You don't write on that page in your notebook. You just don't. This is a bad experience for you and everyone around you. <laughs> think some somebody think of the children. You know what I mean. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Uh, Jordan asks, ink samples. How are we supposed to get the ink in our pen from that tiny vial? I got a sample recently, and it was nothing short of a hilarious disaster. The bottle was too small for me to fit the nib of the pen fully down into, and the comedy of errors that followed doesn't bear repeating. What should I do next time so I don't waste 70% of my ink sample? So, Jordan, now that I am more experienced, I, I laugh at this, but I'm laughing because I'm with you. Like, I yes. think probably all of us have tried to have, like, the three hands required to yes. fill an ink pen in yep. one of those tiny little vials. We've all done it. Mm-hmm. Not once has it ever gone well for any of us. So, luckily, the solutions are easy, um, and it's what I do now. It's I, I use syringes, right? So you get you can buy blunt tip syringes from you know your favorite stationer. A lot of them have these like cleaning supplies. Um, those thing those come in handy for other situations and other ink bottles. Like to be honest, like my favorite Robert Oster inks, right? Like I'm getting down on my low on my bottle of fire on fire i can't put a pin or a it's converter the same. in there anymore yes yeah, the same right? problem with the robot right because the, so the bottles are so simple they don't have yep. any they're not designed in such a way to help you get to every inch of them right so you get your syringe you draw the ink out of there and then you then you fill whatever you need to fill so you don't always so the key to this question is you don't always have to dip the nib and the grip section into the ink bottle Correct. or in this case file to to properly fill a pen. You can just fill the converter. That's so you, what I do with the robots, the bottles, and ink vials. I just take the converter out of the pen and stick yep. the converter in the bottle, and that does the job yep. for me. Yep. So it does take a little bit longer for the ink to start flowing, right? Because you didn't dip it in there. Yep. You could also dip the nib after. A lot of people will recommend doing that. If you fill the converter from the vial, which is another way to do it, you know, you can you don't have to have, you know, just a, a syringe. You can just stick the converter in the vial, which I've done plenty of times. Um, some people will then just dip the nib of the pen into there, even though knowing you're not going to drop ink to it, you at least get kind of get the feed, the, the feed uh, inked up and can start writing a little bit quicker. So a little kickstart. yeah, it it, you you can make a mess or it's nothing good is going to come out of trying to stick a pen nib section and filling mechanism into one of those little vials and try to balance like the whole situation so you just have to manage it a little bit differently just stick the converter in there or get you a little syringe or you can get those little pipettes um those worked fine too anything to draw the ink out of there and and transfer it into your your converter Justin asks, how do I know if I need to get my nib tuned? I have a Twisby Eco with a fine nib that feels really scratchy on the few papers I've tried where my Ale Sport fine nib feels incredibly smooth. Is that just how the Eco writes or is it something that needs a bit of tuning to get it to the same level? This is a really good question. I'll, I'll probably say that a lot if you if you didn't realize that. Mm. And um, This is one that comes up a lot and it's nuanced, right? It could just be the Twisby nib needs a little bit of smoothing out, right? Mm-hmm. There might just be some little variance in the nib manufacturing because both of those nibs theoretically came from the same factory with a similar finishing process, even though they aren't the same nibs. And that's not something Justin would know necessarily, right? But, um, they sh- should both be made generally the same way, but each company has a different way. Like the tipping is done or the, the finishing is done. Um, my guess and I would probably think you have maybe a little something going on with the eco nib that you could manage yourself with something called 12,000 grit sandpaper and I think even the most beginner fountain pen people would be smart in picking up just a little small sheet. Again, just like the syringe in the previous question. Have a syringe, 
have a little square of 12,000 grit. I literally, as we're recording this, I reached over on my desk and picked my picked mine up. It's like a two inch by three inch square. And you just take that eco, you put a little drop of water on there, and then you just kind of write like the number eight or like an infinity symbol with your nib um, in that little drop of water, just kind of smooth it out a little bit. You do that like maybe 10 times, dry it off, start writing on the page and see if that fixed the issue. So that's your basics. If that doesn't fix the issue, you need to inspect the nib a little bit closer and then you start looking for things like the tines are misaligned. Like you can see like if one side of the nib is higher than the other one, um, then it's kind of bent a little bit. That's also easily fixable by you. Um, there's some videos you can, you can find online on how to tune your own nibs. But that's the kind of testing you want to do. I would say it's probably not just how the eco writes because those pins should be pretty close in feel with the al sport fine nib and the twisby eco fine nib those should be very similar in feel so um give that a shot check out the the grit sandpaper which i know you don't want to necessarily buy something else to to handle this but um that would be my that would be my guess and that is before you get into like sending off to like nib meisters this is stuff you could like handle on your own pretty easily yeah, I mean that sandpaper stuff. I've had it and used it a bunch. And like honestly, for me, that what this question boils down to, like, you need to get your nib tuned if you're unhappy with the way the nib feels. I don't think that there is a like, spe- you know, I don't think there's a specific hard and fast rule. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's why I led with like, this could be a very nuanced question or a nuanced answer. If you feel like you have a pen that isn't working the way that you expect it to, then it is a candidate for having some work done. Right. And each pen, each nib is going to be different. Like it's, Mm -hmm. you can hardly compare even the same nib. Like if I have a Yovo fine nib in one pen and a Yovo fine nib in another pen, there could be something up with a singular nib that could make me you know, think about, Hey, do I need to modify how this is writing or do I need to look at a little bit closer? So you have to take each case individually. And then you, you start with, you know, what you can handle yourself first. Hey, is it like really clean? Like, you know, is it, there's, is there something gunked up in the, in the tines, right? There's, there's fibers in the tines. So I need to get a, you know, something to clean it out. So, you know, take those little steps for yourself first, and then you can kind of expand in a little bit broader and see how to fix those things. And Jim asks, I just got my first bottle of Iron Gall ink, but I'm a little nervous about how it could affect my fountain pens. Do you have any suggestions about how to successfully use it without ruining my pens? I am glad you are nervous because you should at least think about using Iron Gall inks. And I lead with that not to scare you, but I lead with that to say they are awesome and you should use them in your pens but you have to think about them a little bit more. And my philosophy on most iron gall inks, and we're talking like made for fountain pen iron gall inks, Jim. I'm not talking buy at the Ren Fair, right out the boiling pot full of walnuts iron gall ink. That's a dip pen only type of situation. You're not putting that in your fountain pens because that's very, very extreme. Like if we're talking like made for fountain pens iron gall inks, like, you know, uh, Roaring Cleaner makes some, KWZ makes some, uh, Diamine makes some. A lot, a lot of companies make Iron Gall inks for fountain pens. That's what I'm talking about here. Um, those, my general rule is if I'm not using that pen, you know, if it sits more than two or three days in a row without using it over a span of like three weeks, like if I keep not using it over a span of three weeks to where the ink's not flowing through and it's just sitting there, I will clean it out. On your day-to-day writing experience, like if you're using the pen actively and it's one of these like good legitimate iron gall inks, you're never going to have an issue, right? Like they're going to go in your pens well. And like, again, a point of clarification here, I wouldn't use this in my vintage pens, right? We're talking modern pens here. Mm. I'm assuming we're talking modern iron gall inks and modern fountain pens just for clarity's sake here. Um, If you're using a modern iron gall ink and a modern pen, you're going to have a good time. You just have to think about when you're not using that pen, you don't want it sitting for like two weeks 
without being used. Just not that it's going to like totally damage, but you're actually going to make it harder on yourself cleaning it out. So um, that's my guess. I am very pro Iron Gall inks. And honestly, I would say the same thing for shimmer inks, right? Like if you're not using like a shimmer ink or a pigmented ink for a couple of weeks at a time, you just go, just go ahead and clean it out so you don't accidentally forget about it. And then two months later, you know, you're spending a half an hour trying to clean out this pen and wondering like, did I damage the feed or did I damage the converter? You probably didn't, but you at least can avoid those questions. So you, it requires a little bit of extra thought, a little bit extra maintenance, yeah. but you should not be scared of using them. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Uni Pizza Ovens, the world's number one pizza oven company. They make surprisingly small ovens powered by your choice of either wood, charcoal, gas, and now electricity too, letting you make restaurant-quality pizza at home. Uni Pizza Ovens are incredibly easy to use and super portable. They fit into basically any space you have. They have that. What's really great and what makes uh, Uni Pizza Ovens, what sets them apart, is the incredibly high temperatures that they can reach. This is what enables you to cook restaurants restaurant quality pizza in as little as 60 seconds is something you can't do in a regular home oven. The high temperature is what separates the product apart. This is what you're going to get fantastic homemade pizza from. They have a bunch of awesome models like the Unicoda 16. This is one that Brad has. This is a gas-powered oven that cooks pizzas of up to 16 inches with an innovative L-shaped burner at the back to give you even heat distribution. Uni pizza ovens start at just $299. With free shipping to the US, UK, and EU. You can also check out the multi fueled Uni Karu as well, where you can choose to use wood, charcoal, or gas it's set up for all of them. Uni also have all of the tools that you're going to want accessories, they have peels, they have pizza cutters, oven tables, and so much more. And they also make an app of their own to help you perfect your dough recipe and give you loads of pizza making tips. Brad, is it pizza time at the Dowdy House? It is so pizza time. I was talking uh, this weekend, as a matter of fact um it is time to bust out the uni it is time to get these pizzas going so i i cannot wait like i i get like very anxious <laughs> about uni time because uh, it's so much fun and i enjoy baking the pizzas so much and i i enjoy the end results because the uni just makes it easy to cook these awesome yep. pizzas um with uh you know not a lot of effort and you get like this super super high quality uh pizza and it's it's an experience right like the the best uni um, situation is when you have a, like a lot of people over, you have guests over and you're like, Hey, check this out. And we're going to make some pizzas. What do you want on here? It's like, okay, I'm going to throw it in here and uh, don't shut the door. Cause it's, mm-hmm. it's not going to take me very long to bring this pizza in and out. And you're like, shut what? the door. You this open it up happen? again. Pizza's That's ready. right. That's right. Let's go. Listeners of this show can get 10% off their first purchase of an Uni Pizza Oven. Just go to uni.com, that's O-O-N-I.com, and use the code ADDICT2023 at checkout. This is the perfect tool for making pizza at home. Uni Pizza Ovens are always in such high demand, so if you want one, go get one. Uni Pizza Ovens are the best way to bring restaurant-quality pizza to your own backyard. Just go to uni.com and use the code ADDICT2023 for 10% off. Our thanks to Uni Pizza Ovens for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, Greg asks, we all know that standard moleskins are not the best for fountain pens. I'm not trying to rehash that old talking point. I use higher quality notebooks too. But sometimes I use fountain pens and moleskins. I like it when my pages show heavy use. I don't mind bleed through. It adds personality. But have you noticed that the updated moleskin paper almost resists fountain pen ink as if it's got some kind of coating? It skips and goes down blotchy. Gel pens are fine. Fountain pen ink, not so much. So Greg has nailed the problem that I have with Moleskine um, paper. I I have no problem with Moleskine as a company. I've obviously, I've praised them for years. You don't know what paper you're getting when you buy a Moleskine notebook. And no one, it's an impossible problem to solve because it changes so much. You don't know how. Moleskine paper is like a defined thing Mm -mm. necessarily. Right, and you don't know when you go to a store, the product on the shelf, well, it was made in what year, in what factory, in what paper, and how long has this paper been sitting here, and is like the three three notebook choices you have, are they all three different papers? The answer is probably yes. So you can't, I, I never recommend Moleskine for fountain pens because you don't know what you're getting. Mm-hmm. Like if you knew what you were getting every time, you could at least decide whether you liked it or not. The problem is, 
one moleskin can be handled ink different from the next moleskin and the next one and so on and so forth, which is exactly what Greg's explaining. And like Greg, like some people don't mind like the bleed through, like I, sometimes it like looks cool and some people like that and that that's fine. And that's generally like if you could get that consistently out of moleskin, you at least know what you're getting when you go into it. The problem is you don't. <laughs> and you, I can't really... I have no interest in even buying any Moleskine notebooks for that reason. I would love to test them some more, but there's no baseline to even start from to begin to try to figure this out, right? Mm -hmm. There's no consistency and there's no, that. so I could never get to an answer of like, you should buy, like they almost need like a wine vintage, like, oh, the the 2017 Moleskine was was the great one. It's like, you can't even do that because it's so inconsistent. Even if they did, it's not a thing that you would want because then you, it's still unreliable because you've got to hope you could find the, like, you know what I mean? Like, even if they labeled it that way, it would be like, you know, what would be fine, and I think is fine, is if different products had different paper, right? Like you would yes. want the sketchbook Moleskine to have more sketchbooky paper than the note-taking one. But right. it's, as you say, it's like it's not really... I mean, but you've got to be realistic here, right? This is not what they're making. Like, they're right. Not make, they're, That's exactly, they're not making it for that. That's why I don't give them that hard of a time, right? Yep. They're not saying, hey... Although they did have one product like in the past year or so, we got a marketing... Uh, thing I think someone sent in from an STPA that um, they listed it as fountain pen friendly and it very much was not and which was a new like marketing tag on on some of the products and it was absolutely not so well, you know how friendly yeah. is friendly you know what I mean maybe they're just it's like <laughs> fountain pen acquaintance right right more like fountain pen acquaintance so yeah like buy moleskines all you want but go into it knowing that your fountain pens are probably going to have a bad time. Use it for gel pens, rollerball inks, pencils, all that stuff, ballpoints. All that stuff's great. Like, I like moleskines, not for fountain pens. Uh, Chris asks, I'm an enormous fan of the Kokoyu Campus A5 loose leaf paper. I use the dot line sheets in a slim smart ring binder, which works well, but is not particularly attractive. I have not been able to find any good looking 20 ring slim binders. Can you help me? So the only one I can think of that's different than like a Kakuya ones and the Kakuya ones are generally like what Chris is describing these 20 ring binders. They have this uh, a plastic ring with like a slide system, right? Where you just like pull the end, all the rings open up and then you like push it back and all the rings close. And like, that's fine. And they're, they're thin and functional and just kind of uh, useful for like moving a lot of papers in and out, especially for students. The only other one I can think of is the Mormon Giris, um, which is, in a similar style it's a little bit bigger i don't know if it's too big for uh, what chris is talking about but it at least uses metal rings for like your 20 rings or at least metal so they have that more of like that snap like clip on the on the end as opposed to like this plastic slide so a more traditional like a three wing three ring binder style metal ring but with 20 rings so maybe that's an option um and you know it's they don't come in as many fun or functional colors to open and close 20 yeah rings. i know i mean they're popular like the student it's a popular student thing but kakuyo has made those very very popular um Mormon is the only one i know off the top of my head um that's easily findable that has another 20 ring <laughs> options other companies like reimei and uh some of the other uh japanese stationers might have something like that but this is the only one i know offhand and it's at least this is the only one i know that has the metal rings uh for 20 rings I just got, had a shudder looking at an open one of these and remembering <laughs> what it's like when you catch your fingers in it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> thank you. This comes from Aaron, who says, how much counterfeiting is there in the world of pens, especially below the Mont Blanc price range? I recently saw a bunch of Lamy Safari-like pens called Savannah on eBay, sold not just in the special 2021 green, but also in brown, black, pink, and maybe others, all with special boxes. Further inspection raised all sorts of red flags. The sellers had few ratings. They were all shipped directly from China, and I couldn't find references to non-green savannas elsewhere. Is someone making fake safaris? So let's break this question down a little bit more and so we're not confused here. So counterfeiting is if you put a pen out there on the market that literally says Lamy stamped on it. Yep. Looks like a Lamy, has yep. the Lamy packaging, um, but is not made by Lamy. So that's a counterfeit. What Aaron is talking about is 
inspired by pins. They're not marketing them as Lamy Safaris. They might they might put it in like you know like somewhere in the text, like so it's searchable. But they're not. They're calling it inspired by is ge- is a generous is yeah, generous. Yeah. Some of them are some of them are just straight up copies. Yeah, but what that's Rip-offs not counterfeit. Or like that. Yeah. yeah, but that's different from mm-hmm. counterfeit. Mm-hmm. Counterfeit is passing off something that's not the real thing as the real thing. The the knockoffs, let's go with knockoffs, are just someone who is, has taken that general design and made their own pen and sells them for 3 to $5. And yeah, that's, that's absolutely a thing. You've seen these safaris like on eBay or different other websites for years and years and years. Um, so yeah, like they're not counterfeit. They're just not the real thing, right? But they're not in, they're not trying to be. They're just kind of like a rip off design. Um the Lamy Safari is such a famous design. It is it gets uh knocked off by a lot of companies for you know, a lot of reasons that I my feeling is like you're just not a very good designer if you just got to make what someone else makes like down to the t right down to the exact same thing that someone else is making and passing it off as just like a cheap option like they're not trying to do anything except sell like fountain pens in bulk so Mm -hmm. they're not counterfeit safaris although there probably are technically counterfeit safaris but that's not what Aaron. yeah i'm on ebay right now and i I have 100 found some counterfeit safaris but i don't think that they're necessarily the ones that have been spoken about here Right, right, right. So yeah, there are so there's two different things. So there's counterfeits and then there's knockoffs. So yeah, they're they're out there. Um you know, a lot of people in our realm will use those types of pens for some people buy those to test nib grinding, like if you want to practice your nib grinds on, or some people will able to like buy ten of those pens and use all kinds of different inks for all kinds of different situations for like ink testing. So you know, like just know you got to You just have to understand what you're getting into um, when you you purchase something like that. Like no support, probably like very little QC. Um, but you know, it's just kind of a like an unfortunate uh, after effect of a, like a being something popular like the Safari. But um, there is. I just wanted to be clear that there is a different from mm-hmm. difference in counterfeit. Like Mont Blanc. Like people will counterfeit Mont Blancs, 100%. right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, then there's knockoffs, which there's also plenty of knockoffs. Knockoffs, knockoffs is safaris, Cavecos. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a question for you. I don't know if you sure. have an answer sure. or if you even want to answer. But do you have a personal mm-hmm. view on these types of pens, these knockoff pens? Uh, I used to be pretty adamant against them, but it's a losing battle, and it's not significant enough to like even move my needle, right? Mm-hmm. Although you know, ask, I guess ask me that when someone knocks off one of my things, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> this is an outrage. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm against it. Like I feel like people could guess that. Like I, I mean, I'm against yeah. that kind of thing. I I don't yeah. I don't think that that you have the right to benefit from like just copying someone's work. I agree, but like so my it's not. I'm not even arguing against me. I I agree with you, but that we're not their market. Like the people who are buying these pins, I like have no concept of what a Lamy Safari is a lot of the times. I don't think it matters to me. Like, I, I know what you I mean. Agree. Like it's, it's yeah. not necessarily about stealing sales. Yes. It doesn't make it right. I'm not it just saying annoys that. It doesn't me. Make... Yes. Cause it's not like if you just wanted to create a generic pen, like it's so easy to do that. They're just tubes. Yes. Like you yeah. don't that have I to agree make with. it look like a Lamy Safari. Yeah. But that I agree with. Like, I don't like the one-to-one uh, knockoffs mm-hmm. where you've just taken someone else's and and just made it the exact pen, but in a different color. Like, I have I, nothing I just, wrong with inspiration. Yeah, but like lazy design, I have a problem yeah. with. And I don't get like 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 the country doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> it doesn't have to be like from China. It could be from the U.S. or anyone who just yeah. does lazy design. Like I, I, I have no place for lazy design, and that's what a lot of this copying and knockoff stuff is. That's just someone trying to take advantage of someone else's hard work, and like I'm, de- I'm never for that. Correct. But this stuff doesn't re- really register with me because it's. I think most of the community knows what it is, and like, I don't know. It's, it is what it is. All right. Next question comes from Paolo, who asks, "Do you have a favorite paper to use with pencils?" And does that differ from your favorite fountain pen or gel pen papers? I could be going mad, but I swear my favorite paper, Leuchtturm 1917, is wearing down my pencils faster than others. Paolo, you're not going mad. You're one of us. Um, it, paper matters. 
Yeah. It, it absolutely matters. Leuchtturm is not really, it's not like a highly textured paper, but it's not like completely smooth. So if I took the same pencil and ran it across Leuchtturm and took that same pencil and ran it across Rhodia, the Leuchtturm is going to wear it down faster because of how the paper's finished, right? So a lot of different papers are finished in a lot of different ways. So some are smoother, some are more textured. Um, the Leuchtturm... They do a good job because they they kind of straddle the line of like a universally good paper while not being the absolute best for everything, right? Like you can use your fountain pens very well in Leuch term. You're also there the the color is going to be a little bit flatter, right? Because the the paper's got a little bit of texture and it's a little bit more absorbent, but it doesn't ruin like a fountain pen writing experience. So then you take a pencil on that, and yeah, it might take down the tip a little bit more than some other papers. Like if you put a Midori right next to that, like that's not going to wear it down. So paper texture is a thing and that does affect your pen and ink and pencil and gel and ballpoint performance. Um, it, it that just makes does. so much so sense, you're but not I've never thought mad. of that before about like the pencil being worn down faster or slower depending on the texture of the... I mean, it makes it makes absolute logical sense, but I just right. never considered it before. Right. Yep. So that is a thing. So it is one of those considerations. Paper is one of the biggest definers of whether you're going to have a good writing experience or not. Like you could say, I hate this pen. And I hate this ink. I was like, well, why? Well, look how it bleeds. Mm. I was like, that might not be the pen's fault. Uh, Ramon asks, how do you feel about machined pens that require external tools to change their refills, like the original Shown Design ballpoint pen, CWT's pen type B, or the Atelier pen? Atelier mm -hmm. pen? Yeah. The latter provides a beautifully designed mini wrench. Initially, I was like, I don't need this extra thing. Like, why do I need a tool to change the refill? That Frisbee just makes it more fidgety. Too, right? Like, I don't think it's for, for refilling, but they have like a little thing in the box for maintenance. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then I thought about it as like, how often do I actually refill this pen? So like it, it does not register with me anymore. Like if I like the pen, I will buy it regardless of if I need a tool to change the refill or not. Um, so it does not affect my buying decisions. Uh, where before I was like, oh God, I'm have to keep up with this tool or I'm have to do something else. Like I've changed the pen, uh, the refill in my shown design uh, before because the original one because it takes a Fisher Space Pen refill and I, I used one up uh, a long time ago or it dried out or something on me. And it's like, you know, I just found something that I could stick into the, <laughs> into the little, um, you know, like the little screwdriver bit and twisted it out and changed out the refill. I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Like I, it doesn't bother me. And where initially I was like, oh, this seems like fidgety or annoying or keeping up with extra parts. And now it just doesn't matter because how often am I going inside there and I'll just deal with it when I need to. I am fine with it as long as the tool is standard. Yeah. If the tool is a proprietary tool, that's no good. I agree with that. I agree with that. It's they're usually either like straight, like f like flathead type screwdrivers or mm -hmm. hex, and they'll pro they'll usually all the hex ones usually provide any some type of hex tool. And similarly, if you're gonna require that tool, you should include it. Uh, uh, that you should absolutely yeah. include it. Absolutely, should be both things should be included. Should be standard. Yep. So those things, cool. those are not a pro or a con for me. Like that's just a, I'll deal with it when I need to. It's not going to turn me off of a pen. Mm -hmm. All right. Next question comes from DJ. This is a longer question. Multi part. Yeah, I love this one. So I'm going to read it and then we can go maybe part by part back through it. Okay. Right. Because I think. Yes. Read the whole thing because it's kind of contextually the same, but yes. Mm -hmm. How does one go about selling used pens? Does the asking price change if the pen has been inked and or heavily used or if the original box is not available? How does one determine the value of a used pen that is still available, brand new on the market? What are the good places to go to sell pens? And what is the best way to assure a good transaction between seller and buyer? All right, so, so I, I I have a lot of thought on thoughts on this, a lot of experience with this, yep. um, a lot of rambling to do about this. So let's take question Part one. one. We'll, we'll, we'll go just back. hit these in order. Yep. Does the asking price change if the pen has been inked and or heavily used or if the original box is not available? 
what is your intent for selling the pen? Right? So that's the first question. And then are you worried about making money or losing money on this pen? And if so, I would posit that maybe you have to look at your, your buying habits in the beginning because yes, the price will be changed if the pen has been inked used and the box is unavailable. The, the answer is yes for all of these and it reduces yes. like every single time. So if you've ever inked it, it goes down. If mm-hmm. you've heavily used it, it goes down. Or if the original box is not available, it goes down with the asterisk of depending on if it's a very popular rare pen or not, right? Sometimes right, right. these things can go up. Nine, but I think for the sake of this conversation, yeah. let's just assume regular pen in yeah, you know, ninety percent of the pens you buy that you use are not going to increase in value, mm-hmm. right? So you just have to have depreciation in mind. You never go into a purchase thinking I'm going to sell this pen, but sometimes you do. Sometimes like you're, you're like me and you just buy a lot of pens, and then you start some fall out of favor. Some you start using less, and you then you sell them. Well, you're like built in depreciation as soon as you start using the pen, right? So yes, your price is going to be lower. Let's say. Let's just say I have a $300 sailor pen. I buy it for $300 and like I use it um, maybe like five times and it's still like in really good shape. And, but I, I threw out the box and, you know, so I've used the pen like five times. I've tossed the box and now I have a nice gold nib sailor. I'm probably going to sell it for like $225, you know, something like that. Right. It's just, that's like, I'm not trying to get my money back. Like this is, and this is the way I think about it. Like I'm not trying to like, you know, like recoup, I'm just trying to move on from this pen and use that money for, you know, a different pen. Like, and it doesn't like, what's the different, I mean, should I try to get $275 for it? It was like, well, I just want to sell the pen, right? It's time to move on. Like, I'm not trying to extract maximum value. This is also a me thing, right? Like I have a lot of pens. Sometimes I just need to move them in bulk. Um, Mm -hmm. So are you trying to extract maximum value? Well, your pricing might be different in that same case. You might be trying to sell it for 275 and maybe you can, and maybe you have the time to deal with that, you know, maybe selling a little bit longer, but I just want to move on. You know, I'll give the next person a good deal on it and whatever. So um, next question. How does one determine the value of a used pen that is still available brand new on the market? Yeah, it's like how used is it, right? Like this is my answer before. It's like just a little bit used, like I'm still knocking like 25% off easily, right? And then if it's heavily used, it's probably like half off. I mean, just because you owning it takes the price down if it's available now, <laughs> yeah. right? Like yeah. if you've and bought it, a pen, even if you've never taken it out of the box, you have to mm-hmm. take money off if you want to resell it because yeah. why would someone buy it from you? Exactly. So that's like 10% straight off. Yep. Like if you've never used it, it's still like in the packaging, you made a mistake, like you regretted buying it, you're going to resell in it. That's like straight up. There's there's no hard, fast numbers here, but for a product that's still available, that's brand new and I can go buy it, you know, a Twisby IRS back for $80 and I could buy one from you that you've bought and are going to resell me for $80. Like now I'm assuming way more risk. So now that's I need to pay like sixty five dollars to assume that risk, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't have a hard and fast rule, but I feel like if a product's available, you've bought it and used it, it's mm-hmm. no more than half for me. Oh yeah, that was talking about an unused pen. Oh, I was yeah, talking about yeah, a brand yeah. new pen. Sorry. I was talking about a brand new pen. Mm-hmm. If I'm buying a brand new pen f- from a secondhand person that's never been used, or I can just go buy it from a retailer that you know I have support. Um, mm-hmm. you know, support from like I, I need it to be less like from yeah. the jump and then using and then it's used on top of that. Yeah, it just keeps going down. Yeah. What are the good places to go to sell pens? One of the best is Reddit pen swap or slash R pen underscore swap. That is a very popular, very well moderated uh, board that I have used in the past. Um, the pen addict slack is always has a good uh, buy sell trade but it's not specifically for that like it's a community driven uh, tool where you don't come in and just like just you're not there to just sell pens like you have to contribute to the community um, to kind of have like a standing in there um, those are uh, those are probably kind of the two the two main places I mean I guess people still use eBay I've used eBay for certain things like when I was selling my black wings the, that was just easiest to go on eBay when I don't want to sell for something that's like a defined price I'm not saying hey this is two hundred dollars 
um, you can, um, you know, sell it um, on eBay if you wanted to have more just like, hey, what does the market bear type of situation, which is what I did for my black wings. So, um, yeah, that's there's honestly not a, a billion good places like a pin show is not a good place to sell pins because the people buying the pins like they're trying to resell the pins generally unless you're selling to like other customers at the pin show like generally you're not going to sell to dealers at a pin show unless you're just trying to get rid of like a bunch of wholesale type of situation type of pins you know if you're trying to get you know recoup you know 80 and 90 percent of your costs right vendors have to make money on their resale points so they're not gonna uh, not gonna get much what's the best way to assure a good transaction between seller and buyer um in person <laughs> in person if possible mm. um most so like uh, reddit pen swap um requires uh paypal goods and services only that's yeah. your only option to transact to use that board to transact that is the only way you can use it because the buyer needs some protection from the seller mm-hmm. um in in a general sense in a in an unknown when there's two unknowns um, you generally want to like side with the buyer a little bit in, in that situation because the, the seller will get the money before the buyer has the product, right? Mm-hmm. So PayPal goods and services is your one bit of protection there. Um, so when and I guess people, also if you're selling, you can also have the product uh, insured in transit, right? Yep. But like if you're yep. buying, you get none of that. Right, right. So that's generally seen as the most reasonable transaction point when you're trying to do handle something online from an unknown entity uh, in in both directions you know having venmo or just you know cash app or whatever the you know instant money transactions um without any protection out there you know you like the sellers need to get, need to be aware that they they need to like absorb like the additional fees mm-hmm. to to transact in this way for safety reasons like if you if you want to transact um between parties who who are unknown to each other so yeah that that that's definitely my thing Ramon in the live chat in the discord uh, asked a follow up question just for clarification uh do what what changes for the first two? So the asking price stuff and determining mm-hmm. a price if it's a limited edition pen that's no longer available. It's you have to understand the market a little bit. So you yes. have to put in a little bit of work uh, in there. It so pen I have to pen right. Like it, yep. this is all about how in demand it is. So there isn't a hard and fast rule. Right. So I've sold two pens of mine that were used. That just like I again like you really have to go into like pen purchasing as as not an investment you i've never gone into a um a pen purchase saying well if i don't like it i can just sell it like that is not never my intent my intent is to buy something and keep it it doesn't always work out that way and that's fine but it's the it's the original intent so i've had two pens that i've bought i've enjoyed i've used them several times and then they just ended up not fitting in my rotation for whatever reason and i was able to sell them used for sizable amounts more than what i paid for them right so one of them was the pelican pro gear ocean which was a very popular limited edition which i you know you don't know at the time like you mean sailor pro gear ocean no it's a pelican pro gear i think it was just called ocean blue or something like that it's an 800 pelican m800 pro gear uh, Pelican, huh? May I might have the name wrong, but there—I mean, there is a Sailor Pro Gear Ocean. That's kind of—I do have that pin too. But there is uh, now you're going to make me find that exact model because now I've got the name wrong, I guess. But it's a Pelican M800, um, Ocean Swirl. That's what it's there called. I'm not even looking it up. Ocean Swirl. Um, so I bought that pin and I was able to sell that for a premium on what I paid for it. I also had a Conan Monarch that I bought and sold it for a premium on and I paid for it. And that's not because I was trying to like invest in these pins and then sell them later. I bought them, I used them and I decided that they didn't fit for me long-term. And it just so happened that in the time that I bought them to the time I was deciding to sell them, they became hot property for whatever reason, limited edition, people liked them, whatever that the intention was never that, Hey, these would be, you know, available for a higher price later. And so did you act, did I actually make money in those pins? Yes. But that's never the intent going into things. You're just lucky, right? Yep. Yeah. Completely random. Right. Yep. Like, you know, I mean, the fact is I bought good pins at their regular retail price to enjoy them because I liked them at the time. Right. 
mm-hmm. just so happens that market forces after the fact changed those things, right? Changed how uh, these pins were thought about in the general like marketplace. And I just happened to benefit, but that's just luck. I mean, it, no, it doesn't matter. All right. Last question today comes from Andrew, who says, Mm -hmm. between the shift to spending more time online during the pandemic and the recent adventures in mismanagement of Twitter, it seems like it might be a good time to look around at the online pen community. From blogs to slacks to discords to Reddit to Mastodon to Instagram and sure, many more that I'm not naming, where do you see the online community thriving in coming years and where is it slowing down? I, this is a really great question. Um, and I, I think about this a lot. And I have to think about it from a couple of different perspectives. One, I have a business. And two, I'm myself. Like I have my person, right? Like my individuality. Let me speak about this from myself, from my I personal perspective. I think that's the only way you can realistically do it, but you can try mm-hmm. both ways. Yep. I never went into doing the pen addict to make a business out of it. Right. Like, you know, 15, 16 years ago, I started writing a blog about pens cause it was fun. It so happened like, Hey, later on in my life, I could make a business out of it. The one thing that's never changed is really how I present myself in various online places. I'm still very true to myself. Right. So that shows in things, social media I've used currently or in the past things such as you know twitter instagram that's probably this like the social medias that i had used the most um but i've always i've never looked at those as marketing tools for the pen addict brand right i've used those as hey i want to have fun and share the things that i enjoy and have fun and if it's pen related great if it's music related great if it's sports related great i did not like mix i i don't care about like mixing up my own like social media or my personality because that's who i am as a person, I've always presented my business front as, hey, it's just me. Like, this is me doing this stuff. I'm not some big brand. I don't have a social media schedule. <laughs> I don't, like, set up my my Instagram shots. I mean, just, I was I was complaining to Mike on last week's episode. I was like, oh, I didn't like these pictures very well I put up on Instagram. Like, like I really try not to take that stuff overly seriously to run it as just like strict business hashtag content, right? But it's also important at the same time to have like a good presentation and like a good comfort factor when someone comes and sees your content. Do they understand what's going on, right? There's new users all the time. It's like, oh, look at this pen, the picture of the fountain pen. Maybe I should follow this guy. So more direct to the question from like the pen community, Um, I think blogs and forums are still kind of the way and then Instagram, right? The traditional like Twitter type social media or, and I almost include Facebook in this a little bit where it's like a little bit text and image based and like commentary, just like quick hit commentary. That's never been great for the stationary community, right? It's a very visual, um, hobby that we're all in. So Instagram is obviously very uh set to be like the main driving force for placed yeah for um like social media for the stationary world i think instagram is like still the best Mm -hmm. um just for like i learn about products from there like i you know i don't have a facebook account i really don't want to be on facebook and i understand that instagram is owned by facebook like i'm 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 very clear i don't have my head in the sand i also think that instagram is tough to use (laughs) a lot of times. So I don't, from my personal usage, like I don't try to fight the algorithm or play the algorithm. I don't schedule my posts. I just kind of do what I want when I want to on Instagram. But what I get from Instagram is I get a lot of knowledge from seeing what other people post, seeing what makers are up to, seeing what manufacturers are up to. Um, I will save like an Instagram image. There's like a little save button on there. And I know that I can go back when I'm putting together podcast notes. A lot of the times I've found things there that go straight into the podcast notes for like next week. You know, it's a good informational discovery type of thing for me. Um, And it's also a good, like from the Panatic perspective, like it's a good conversation point for me. If I post an image about something, I can now converse about that specifically 
And that's a little bit easier for someone to do than if I do like a similar blog review. A lot of people won't come to the comment section of the blog and that's that's fine too. It's a lot easier to have like a conversation on like an Instagram feed. Um, the rest of it, I think Reddit's probably good. Um, you know, there's obviously bad sides to all these things. Um, but like if you you know, like the Reddit fountain pens board is good. Like all the Reddit stationary boards that I follow are, are like generally good places to communicate and like get questions answered and learn about things. Like that's one of my biggest things is, is I use social media just for fun and learning type of stuff. I don't try to use it to like drive business. I, I would lose my mind if I was trying to like game like social media from a business perspective. So I just think of it as more of just like a big personal fun feed for me. Um, I enjoy Mastodon and Micro.blog. Um, those are good, comfortable communities. Um, Mastodon has been good because you can follow the fountain pens hashtag and other hashtags, stationary hashtags, and those posts come straight into your feed, um, which that's a good benefit. Um, the Slack is very popular. I know there's Discord channels that are very popular for stationary. I think you're going to see more and more communities built around like a Discord type platforms. Like Real FM has done a really, really top tier job of building a community space that's comfortable and healthy for anyone to join and converse in or just hang out in and read you know i think that's where we're going to see the main thing so like that's my biggest drivers and and i hate saying drivers like i i don't think anything is like a, a huge have to have for stationary um but i think it's instagram i think it's these discords and slacks um, and I think, uh, Reddit's a pretty decent place as well. And then you have like the blogs and like Mastodon or like down the line a little bit. So I don't know if I totally answered Andrew's question, but I really wanted to take it more of a, like a philosophically how and why I use social media and what my goals are, right? Like you got to start there just like the selling, selling question before is like, you know, you have to, there's, there's questions you have to ask before you get to the answer before you even like think about asking these questions, right? Like what are your, what's your intent and my intent with any type of social media for myself personally, or the pen act is to have my personality come out, have my enjoyment of these products come out, have the fun come out and then like learn and have educational resources. And that's kind of how I use social media. So what's going to be the big grower? I don't know, but I'm only going to be somewhere where like I'm comfortable. My friends are comfortable being there and we can have fun. Yeah. I'm, I think I'm mostly in agreement with you for myself. Instagram is my favorite social network these days. Mm-hmm. Um, I use Mastodon, but nowhere near to the level that I use Twitter. And I, and yeah, I think same. for me, I think the age of that kind of social media is in the decline. Like mm-hmm. if Good it's car. quote unquote, not over, um, I, I think that that, I think in general, people are less likely to share text-based social media, so like text-based thoughts publicly than they used mm-hmm. to be. And I think a lot of that kind of, those kinds of thoughts, opinions, conversations are moving to closed communities like discords. That's mm-hmm. kind of what I see and I think might be better for the world. Um, but who can really tell but i yeah. for the pen community obviously it's always been instagram anyway right like it just makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense um and i think we'll probably just continue to go that way yeah yeah i i really enjoy instagram despite it being like it can be really difficult to use so i have learned to just not worry about it and just yeah. <laughs> and just deal with it and just like like i said if i'm not having fun somewhere like I'm not going to spend my time on there. I don't have to. Luckily, I never built anything that was reliant on any of these social media platforms, right? Like I can choose to leave Twitter because it doesn't affect my bottom line. And I know a lot of companies um, are not in that situation, right? Mm-hmm. Thank oh, you so much. I just uh, thought of something. Okay. One thing we didn't mention and Andrew didn't mention, uh, which is YouTube. Um, and like yeah. Twitch. Yeah. So those aren't really yeah. these type of things they're not, and they're not going to grow. They don't have like the, the feedback in these things do, but I think YouTube is actually a pretty good, uh, stationary platform. Right. Yes. 
and I think Twitch will continue to grow, but it's, that's a completely different animal than, than most of these other things. But I think YouTube, I wanted to give a shout out to YouTube because like I could never be a YouTube pen reviewer. Like that's not my thing. Um, I, I don't want to, that's not where I choose to spend my time. I prefer other things like writing and blogging and things yeah. like that. But I think stationary YouTube is actually pretty good. Um, although I don't know if this, what the stationary YouTubers think about like the comment section of like, it's like a good conversational type of place. It's probably harder um, because those have such a longer tail uh, aspect to them where the comments could keep coming in for years, right? Like on a popular post, right? And it's hard to like actually manage and keep up with that stuff. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that real quick. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's not, it's, it's not really social media, but it is content yeah. creation. Yeah, yeah. And those two things do intertwine uh, very, very closely. Thanks to everyone that sent in a question for this episode. If you would like to send one in for a future episode, just go to penaddictfeedback.com and you can ask us a TPA question, ask TPA question there, and we will get to it in the future. If you want to find Brad online, go to penaddict.com and he is penaddict on Instagram. They're the places to go. I'm iMike, I-M-Y-K-E, and you can find my products on classicsbrand.com. Find Brad's over at spokedesign.com, twitch.tv slash penaddict as well. We'll be back. Well, the show will be back next week. I won't be here. Brad's going to be having a wonderful guest to fill in for me. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. Uh, Until then, say goodbye, Brad. Goodbye, Brad.